Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So it is mailbag time, Brian, and, and we got Ryan bring these up. So we're going to just get rocking and rolling here. Uh, we're going to start off with Bobby Halfacre. He says, I know the narrative about every year is different of team, but what's your honest opinion of the defense as a whole unit? I'm going to say this, Brian, and this is something that I think that we had. A, so one of the things we're doing on, on Irish Breakdown premium board, which is why you need to sign up at boards.irishbreakdown.com, is we are going to we launched this week's first time. So Ryan does a recruiting mailbag every week where people ask him recruiting questions and he'll answer them. But we're doing sort of a, a team chat. So it's basically something that's running throughout the week. It's it's I think 10 pages long already. I put it up, I think, uh, Tuesday night. It's already 10 pages long uh, where you can ask us questions. And one of the questions was, do you think the Notre Dame offense is being undersold? And my response was, I don't really think so for the most part. There are some people that just give Notre Dame no love, but there's a lot of people that are just kind of assuming Notre Dame's going to be a lot better on offense this year. I don't know if anybody thinks they're going to be this, like this juggernaut, but most people are going to get a lot better. The part of the team that I think is being wildly undersold is the defense. And I think it includes Notre Dame fans. There's this notion from Notre Dame fans that the defense was bad last year. It wasn't bad at all. It wasn't as good as it needed to be. It wasn't as good as it should have been. And there were some frustrating moments. But this is also a defense that held Clemson and Ohio State to an average of 17 and a half points. This is a defense last year that ranked 12th in college football in Power 5 games in total defense and rushing defense and was top 25 in yards per play, rushing yards per play, passing yards per play, and scoring against Power power 5 opponents. And there was about three to six non-Power 5 teams, meaning teams play like one to three games against Power 5s in those numbers ahead of them. So they were a top 10 team in Power 5 games in a lot of categories. That's a struggling defense. Now, do they need to get better? Yes, they do need to get better. But I actually think this defense is going to be a lot better this year, Brian, for two reasons. Number one, I think this is a team that has a lot more talent than Notre Dame fans are willing to give it credit for. And number two, I don't care how bad you are as a coach. You get better in year two. Brian Van Gorder's defense got a lot better in year two than it was in year one. Right? I mean, that's that's just a fact. Brian Van Gorder's first defense – gave up 29.2 points per game. His next defense gave up 24.1 points per game. Same players. His 24 defense, uh, his 2014 defense gave up 444.9 yards per game. I'm sorry, excuse me, 404.2 yards per game. And his uh, 2015 defense gave up 372.7 yards per game against a tougher schedule because you played three top five teams that year in 2015. So if Brian Van Gorder can get a, 30 to 40 yard jump improvement and a over five point per game improvement on defense. Al gold can freaking do that as well with a, with a much better baseline to start with. Cause I know the defense gave up 23 points per game last year, Brian, but can we not ignore the fact that Notre Dame had a, a, a weird number of, of pick sixes? what they give up like three pick six? Uh, excuse me. They gave up well, two four in pick the bowl sixes game. last year, right? You gave up two in the bowl game. Gave up one against Marshall. Was it three? 
was it three last year? Let me let me go look at this real quick. Yeah, three. So you gave up three of those last season. So you just take those away just by themselves, and the defense is, is down to 21.4 points per game. Not good enough. Needs to be better. But it's still good. So I actually think the defense is going to be pretty good. I think they're going to be a top 15 defense. The question is, Brian, will they be a top 10 defense or potentially a creep up on the top five? That remains to be seen. But I'm very confident this is going to be a top 15 caliber defense. They're going to do a much better job to get some of the lower level teams in the schedule because I think it just comes down to the knowledge of the system and the coach's knowledge of the players. And I think we're going to see Coach Freeman a little bit more involved in the defense this year just because he's got a better grasp of where he's at. So I think he's going to be a little bit more involved with both of his coaching staffs to make sure that that they're all on the same page with what they're putting in. And I think the third reason, actually I said two, but here's the third reason, Brian. I do think the offense is going to be a lot better. And the better you are on offense, the better it is for your defense. Because if the offense can come out and put 17 points on their first three possessions and all of a sudden you got a 17-13 lead, it's pin your ears back and let's go after them. Sure. And and so I think that's going to – I mean, it, if the Notre Dame offense would have done against Stanford what they did in the first half, Stanford doesn't get to 10 points in that game because the defense would just overwhelm them in the second half. That's just what would have happened. So I think those are the things that you look at too, Brian, and say the offense is also going to help this defense get better. So I think they were a top 25 defense last year. I think they're going to be a top 15 defense this year. That's not good enough to win a championship. So th- that's just a fact. It needs to be top 10 if they're going to be a championship team, in my opinion. And that's the that's the bigger question right now. But I have zero doubt that this is going to be a, a noticeably better defense this season than, than it was a year ago. N- not even That's not even, to me, a, 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 something I'm even willing to entertain is it not happening. I do not see them regressing on defense this year. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think two things from what you said. Number one, I think towards the end of the year, they'll be able to be a little more timely because they're deeper, especially in the front seven. So fewer snaps. I mean, it's just numbers again. This isn't real shocking information here, but I'd rather my star D lineman being at 450 than 550 going into the bowl game. And I'd also like my linebackers to be able to rotate more. I'm sure you've talked about linebackers or will, and it's the same concept at every spot though. They have enough depth now where the starter isn't out there on first, second, and third down 80% of the time. So that's going to be one. And I also think that this year too, I remember listening to one of your shows recently with Ryan they finally admitted, okay, we put in all this stuff last year. We didn't use A, B, and C, so they chucked it, and they could focus on things. Well, when you focus on less, it's easier to learn, So, and it's year two. There's no reason for them not to streamline based on that and also be good at it. So, yeah, the defense, I think, overall will be more timely. It'll also be deeper. It'll also have less attrition. I mean, they're, they're in a much better yeah. spot. Again, but what's the question? Will they be championship caliber? That that's that's going to take more than just experience in the system. They need some guys to dominate. Right. Yeah, Ben Morrison right. was a championship level guy. Like he's right. a freaking freshman. Right now, will right. Riley Mills and a couple other guys? Cam Hart, Xavier Watts. The you know. Yeah, right. I mean, will like some the of the guys that struggled get beat out, or will they? Will Maris play better, or will they? Will they get beat out? There's just a lot of those things that are, that that needs to happen. No doubt. Yep. That's why they play the games, bro. That's right. Favorite part about it. Jordan Schreiber said, did Logan Diggs show up on the top 10 running backs list or was he left off with Audric? Um, 
I I'm, I guess I don't quite understand what you're referring to, Jordan. As far as top ten list, I don't I don't know of any list where Jordan Logan Diggs is ranked as a top ten running back. I I'm I don't know. If he is, that. that's the list I'm unaware of too. Yeah. So um, now, if you're referring to the team list, I know Phil Steele had the Notre Dame backfield ranked, I think ninth or tenth in his preseason magazine. And the one thing I like about, there's a lot I don't like about Phil Steele's magazine. It's just, it's so wordy. I don't even understand what half the things mean. He just kind of like assumes we're all supposed to know what all his abbreviations and all this stuff means. Um, But one thing I do like about it is he puts a lot of value in waiting longer to get it out to make sure that there's more updated rosters and things along those lines. So when he actually did his ranking of the top 10 backfields, not only did he have not them not having Logan Diggs, he had them adding Devin Ford. Wow. So, so it was got very it right. updated. Oh, yeah. It was very updated. And, and he still had Notre Dame as a top 10 backfield. I shouldn't say backfield, running back. Because back when I think backfield, I think quarterback and running back, top 10 running back groups. So, yeah, I, I, I thought highly of that. But I, I don't know of anyone that has Logan Diggs as a top 10 guy in, in Audrick. So maybe, uh, Jordan, if you can f- follow up on that, just kind of elaborate, we'll, we'll, we'll gladly answer that question later. Rob Osgood asks how much of an improvement. Do you think we will see with the D line in year two about Washington and an Al Golden defense? Thank you, Brian. You want to take a crack at that one? Basically, how much of an improvement do you think we'll see from the D lines, especially in year two with Al Washington as their coach and also with Al Golden running the defense? I think that it'll be because of simplification. How often have you and I talked about we hate the paralysis by analysis? It's Notre Dame fans probably think it's only their school. Trust me, I go on message boards across the country. It's a bitching and moaning fest about that at a lot of places. I think the simplified defense is going to allow for him to make it easier for his players. And as we just went over for an hour and a half, Notre Dame has a ton of young talent. There is no reason that my dead grandmother couldn't get this unit to get 20 sacks, okay? They got players. Now can you get that niche? How I'm going to grade him isn't whether they're better. It's whether they're better against Ohio State, Clemson, USC, NC State, teams that matter. Because if I'm worried about what they did against teams that were like Stanford, then this season didn't end up like you and I thought it should anyhow. Yep. That's just honest. I'm not trying to be yep. mad at Stanford or anything. Notre Dame should slaughter Stanford, not beat. This next well, year, that should be 45 to 10. And to your point, Brian, is if we look at the end of the year and the numbers are great, but the numbers were because they had 13 tackles for loss against Stanford, and Navy and Tennessee State, and they had an eight sacks and a win over Tennessee State, then it doesn't matter to me. At the end of the day, like, you know what we loved about, what I loved about the Lou Holtz era is there were some of those Notre Dame teams where it's like, it was like hair pulling out hair watching them play against inferior teams because they were just kind of like toy with them because you could just tell they weren't up for that game. They just, they were thinking about, yeah. but man, that team was always ready to play at its best in the big moments. Like, you know, like what was the one year that they 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 probably should have been a champ? Was it ninety two? Ninety two. They should I have mean, won the national title. They absolutely they choked against Stanford in the second. They were up sixteen to right. nothing and lost. Yeah. And then at the end of the Michigan game, Lou didn't do a good job managing the clock. Right. They should have been able to kick a field goal. They didn't get it done. But they if almost they beat, lost. But if they beat Stanford that year, then I mean they beat a, a top ten BC team fifty four to seven. They beat a, a, a oh no when a, they no, wanted no, to yeah oh my they god. Beat a, no, they beat number two Penn, 22 Penn State that year. They beat number 19 USC on the road that year. They 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 whooped number four Texas A&M that year. If they just tie Michigan, they're playing for the national championship. Brian, they were ranked fifth at the end of the year going into the bowl game, and that was with a loss to Stanford and a, and a tie to Michigan. If they just beat Stanford, they're just up for that game, the way that they were for some of the other games. They're playing for the championship that year. They're, they're, there's no question about it. And so that's just one of those things where, man, I would have loved – would have loved to see Notre Dame playing Alabama or Miami in the in, in the postseason that year. Like that would have been. I, that, Can you I imagine how physical the Notre Dame Alabama game would have been? That, that was would have really been good phenomenal because that was John Copeland, Eric Curry. That would have been. A, two, that that, would have been a that DN combo game. was the best in college football that year. Yep. Notre Dame would have had a harder time running the ball in that yep. game for sure. Yeah, but now that that Texas A and M team that Notre Dame ran the ball on in the second they, half they had some dudes, dudes as well. Too. Yeah. Yeah, but they, they, you know, in the second half, they folded like a tent. Oh, Notre Dame yeah. beat the crap out of them. Oh yeah, that would have been a great game, great game to watch. That 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 uh, Alabama team against that Notre Dame team. That would have been a lot of fun to watch. But the point is, is you know, like like you said, Brian, it's it's that's what the great teams do. 
it, it's are you up for the, like Alabama almost never loses. Like that's what made last year so weird. They never lose. They never lost in big games under Saban ever. They would lose to a, nope. a not very great Auburn team. They lose to Ole Miss. They lose to AM before anybody knew AM was going to be good that year. They never lost to Georgia in the regular season. They never lost to when Tennessee's ranked high or when Florida or whoever. I mean, they always win those big games because that team's always they, they get tripped up by some team. You're like, Ohio State was that way for a long time. I'm an urban. They would smack Michigan, smack Penn State. They'd go lose to Virginia Tech at home by two touchdowns. They'd go get blown out by Iowa, lose, get blown out by Purdue. And then the next week play a top 10 Michigan State team and beat them by 50. You know what I mean? Like, but that's that's the thing is if Notre Dame, and that was the thing under Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly never lost games and from 17 on, never lost games to inferior opponents. He lost games to almost uh, most of his games to teams that were on their level because they couldn't get them up for those games. I feel like with this defense, it's can you get your guys ready to play in the big moments, scheme wise, attitude wise, play wise, all those type of things. Because when you when you look at the big t- games, Brian, USC and Ohio State are both completely revamping their offensive lines this year. And Ohio State had to go to the portal after the spring to get a kid from San Diego State, who's a nice player. But my whole point is, he's like a fifth year senior. If he was that good, he's going to go to the NFL, not transfer to Ohio State. Right. I mean, that's the reality of it. And, uh, you that's, know, so, it's so you got to take advantage. Yeah. Think about the depth they had at the end from the time, say, 13, 14 till about 2020. It's dropped off. It really, I don't know what the deal is. They're not the same, but I mean, they're still good. Well, no, I was talking about the Ohio State offensive line. Oh, no, no. I was talking about the okay. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Your, your Ohio State's offensive line is revamped. USC's offensive line is revamped. So the point is in those matchups, USC had like three 60 or seniors in their offensive line last year. They're gone. Ohio That's State hard. had a, a first round pick in, in uh, Paris, uh, Paris Johnson at left tackle. Uh, Luke Whipler was an all Big Ten center. Dewan Jones was an all big right ta- big ten right tackle got picked I think what uh, fourth Ryan Ryan would know he's in he's in there Ryan would know what what uh, round he was picked in you know but they lost some really good players and they haven't recruited that position extremely well in years leading up to this so they're that's what I was saying is they had to uh, Ryan said third round so they had a top ten pick at left one tackle a third round pick at another tackle and and with Luke Whipler to me I think the only reason he didn't get drafted higher and this is just my opinion is because he's just undersized, but he was still a six-round draft pick. So they lost three NFL draft picks from their offensive line, and they're not like Notre Dame was under Harry Heastan, where when you lose uh, Zach Martin, you replace him with Ronnie Stanley. When you lose Ronnie Stanley, you replace him with Mike McGlinchey. When you lose Mike McGlinchey, you replace him with Liam Meikenberg. When you lose Liam Meikenberg, you replace him with J- Joe Walt and Blake Fisher. You know what I mean? Like Ohio State's not there right now. And so that adds to, Brian, the importance of this is exactly why you need to be taking those games over because you're not going against a superior group of players. Well, no, like, guy in our chat, Archer, love Archer. Uh, Ohio State fan that's in our chat all the time, awesome. But he's always talking about like you know how the D-line's unproven. And my counter to that would be, well, it's not nearly as unproven as the offensive lineman that you're going to be putting on the field this year in, in, in place of the guys you lost. And so which of those wins that battle? To your point, Bryant, that's going to be the key is if Notre Dame can go out there in a game where they should win that battle, can they? Because last year, simply put, Ohio State kicked Notre Dame's butt in the trenches, both sides of the ball, flat out, full stop, no excuses. That's why they won that football game because they whooped Notre Dame's butt in the trenches. That Clemson, now fast forward to Clemson, completely opposite. Notre Dame dominated Clemson in the trenches. They've got Absolutely. to be able to do that in all the big games this year. Not just, okay, you did good here, did well there. And to me, that's going to be the biggest story from the Ohio State game is their D-line is going to be very good this year. Very good, in my opinion. Uh, Their offensive line, we'll see. This is one of those games where Joe Rudolph needs to go make his money and Al Washington needs to make his money. That's going to be key. I wonder, and again, I'm not picking on whatever guy it ends up being for the Bucs. C.J. Stroud made plays in the Georgia game that you cannot teach. Right. When to step up exactly how far all the – because Georgia should have sacked him about five more times than they did. He's not playing. Right. That next – I'm not saying Notre Dame is going to get as much pressure on him as UGA did. You could have argued that in the Ohio State game too, Brian. How many big plays did he make against Notre Dame where he was going on the run and getting the ball out on the sideline? He line? was money yeah. on a couple of throws where you're like, big oh, time. come on. 
It was Big very, time. very deflating when you get a guy outside the pocket thrown against his body, etc. And not only is it a good throw, it's like, yep. there's nothing you can do when the guy just puts it on the money. That's the right. one play you just, okay, well, whatever. But that's third and eight or something. That sucks the life out of your body. So I think that Notre Dame is going to get more pressure than they did last year, A, and B, it's not CJ. The chances right. of those kind of plays happening with the first-year starter not named C.J. Stroud go way down. So unless Ohio State can run the ball, and I have no idea, maybe they will. And that's going like to be a key. That's going to be I, a key. If Notre Dame gives up 5.5 yards of carry, it's not going to matter. They're going to yep. beat Notre Dame. Yep, because so this year, unlike last good. year, you have to worry about can this defense – like I have no I have no doubt they're going to be able to get after the quarterback against Ohio State. That, that's one thing they actually did a decent job of last year. Riley Mills had some pressures. Howard Cross had he some pressures. He just made great plays. They were plays. forcing him out of – and exactly, made great plays. To me, C.J. Stroud, if I'm an NFL team, the Georgia game tells me a lot, but the Notre Dame did game did too because he wasn't on his game from a throwing it all over the yard and doing – but he made the tough plays when he needed to make the tough plays. That's what I learned a lot about C.J. Stroud. He hadn't really been disrupted like that. Where you're, He hadn't played a secondary like that up to that point in time, in my opinion, uh, that that could get after them. And then you lose Jackson Smith and Jigba, and he's got a, a much younger group of players, all that kind of stuff. He showed me a lot of something in that game. Are you going to ask this young guy to do that? Because in C.J.'s first year, C.J. put up a lot of numbers, but they were somewhat hollow numbers. They were system numbers. You know, and, and so they like the Oregon game, teams too. he threw a ton of yards against Oregon. Yeah, they were but, getting killed and right. they didn't win the game. They didn't right. Win. So that's going to be the question mark. But that's that's going to be dependent on what Notre Dame does. Can you take advantage of that? There's no excuses this year, and that's the question that we're going to learn. So so great, great, great question, Rob. Caleb Collins says, what do you think is the num- percentage oh, of RPOs Notre Dame runs this season? I would imagine – I'm just going to throw a guess out here. I would say they're going to run RPOs on at least at least 60% of their runs this year. Now, keep in mind, an RPO uh, percentage is not the times they pull and throw it. It's the time they have an RPO called. Because I, I, would, I love RPOs, Brian. You know that. Everybody knows that. But if I'm running an offense, I'm not calling an RPO on every snap. There's sometimes I want that ball handed off. We're running this, and we're handing that sucker off, and we're blocking. Uh, I think you have to, like everything, you have to mix that up. If they know you're going to be doing RPOs every time, then they can play that way. But if you don't know if I'm going to be down blocking, so if your safety's playing for RPOs, but my I've got Deion Coles, your Jaden Thomas running down there, you think he's going to try to run a post run on you, but he's really just coming down there and stalk block you. He's going to dominate you. And all of a sudden my running back's bouncing off behind that block nine yards down the field, and we're off, we're off to the races. Right. And so to me, you've got to mix it up like you do anything else. I would probably be uh, around 65, 70%. I think Notre Dame will be a little under that and be around 60% is my guess. That's a full 100% guess of where they'll be, which is significantly higher than where they were last year. I'd say they were maybe 10 to 15%, maybe 20%. I never understood that. I don't want anyone to get on that discussion, but with a 60 year quarterback that has thrown 110 touchdowns, coming out of a slow mesh offense who's used to basically running play action on every play. That's essentially what it is. It would behoove Notre Dame to be over 50% conservatively in the run game. Because if they, if you're going to challenge somebody like Jaden Thomas has got a one-on-one with no safety help, he can take it off your head. Why not throw it up? Third and one becomes fourth and one and number sevens here. We're good. That's just how I look at it. Oh, sorry. And you've got Joe Walt and Blake Fisher and Zeke Carell and Bill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I I think when you've got the line they have with Audrick Estime and the vet and the, and look, the receiving core, you can say what you want about Tommy Reese. The receiving core wasn't great last year. Now it wasn't as bad as some people say it was thin. You had issues there. Lorenzo styles was head was not in the game. Tobias was a freshman. You know, Dion didn't was not healthy early. In the year. There was a lot of problems. Jaden Thomas didn't play very well early in the year. There was a lot of issues last year. Now the receiving core, second half of the year, much better than the numbers would, would reflect. But I don't know that you could argue they had a receiving core last year that you should have built a million RPOs around. But you should have done it more than you did, in my opinion. And especially, I would have done it with more RPO stuff, Brian. I would have, I would have had a lot of stuff tagged in out. Of, excuse me, out of twenty-one personnel where. 
I'm reading Inside Zone. I'm going old school. Remember like when Northwest was doing under Randy Walker back in oh, the day they where everybody. they would go, you read that Inside Zone and then you got a guy, you know, Chris Tyree swinging around on a swing route where I'm reading that flat, that, that you yeah, know what I mean? Like yard this pass guy, becomes a 30 yard game. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you could have done some stuff like that, but I, I'm, you know, it is what it is. Last year's last year. I expect a lot more of that this year, partly because there's a lot more weapons out there. And a lot older weapons out there and better attitudes out there. And and just if you think about it, they have everybody coming back from last year's receiving core, uh, except for Braden Lindsay, who was much better than his numbers showed last year. And Lorenzo Styles, who had a bad year, in my opinion. Arriving to the receiving core is Chris Tyree, Jaden Greathouse, Braylon James, Rico Flores Jr., and Caleb Smith. And all your returners are now a year older. So I think there's more weapons to deal with there. And so that's another reason I think we're going to see a lot more of that on top of, I just think Jared Parker believes in doing that more uh, than, than I think coach Reese did. And it was just a different style of play. But I also, I also don't know that Tommy Reese and I understand this. I don't know that Tommy Reese necessarily trusted Drew Pine to read those things out properly, to be honest. Unfortunately, that can get you in a lot of trouble because a misread in any way. Yep. Because to your point, Brian, they weren't in a misread an RPO on first and 10 and getting second 10. You're, you're, you're that this team was not a team that was going to escape from a lot of second, third. And I get that's why they were conservative and ran the ball. They wanted second and seven at worst. Right. And with the guys they had at running back, look, they were pretty damn good. Right. I understand. Right. Next question is from Brandon Plesner. He says, Smitty, any takeaways from the future 50? Who stood out and what Notre Dame targets impressed you? Oh, I for have those, Real quick. So, so for <laughs> those who don't know, every year Under Armour, is it, is it still at Disney, Ryan? Is it still at that? No, no, no. Where, where the, was it at? The future 50s at IMG. That IMG, part, okay. Yeah. So basically top recruits from the 2020, from well, it's really the rising, it's the rising junior. It's going to be juniors in high school. But right. They so they, like they work out, they go through drills. Uh, there's there's a lot of NFL players you said there this year, Brian, like working these kids out. Like you think you said Justin Jefferson was like working the receivers. Him and Kyle so Hamilton showed up. It's a two-day so thing, right? They yeah. show up and talk on day one, and then the next day they work out, something like that, I believe. So that's what they're referring to, Brian. So uh, so from a Notre Dame standpoint, who are some guys that stood out and just some little nuggets that uh, – because I know there's a couple guys that I was very happy to hear or have some legit interest in Notre Dame. Well, for one, just to reiterate what you would mentioned earlier, I interviewed Motang, and I know him pretty well. The three in-state schools in Notre Dame are his list. And I'm, I'm not going to get into the full analysis of it, he is a national top 10 kid. Anybody that wants to say otherwise, they're wrong. He is a freakazoid that can play in the slot against the 5'9", 170 kid, or he can take on an offensive guard and get off of him, scrape, and chase down a kid on the side. He is a freakazoid. He didn't even work out this time. I'd seen him in practice. Didn't care. He was just there hanging out. He goes to IMG, too. So that Notre Dame must get him. For those who don't know, a certain guy that is now playing for the Cleveland Browns is his brother. And he played at Notre Dame. Um, the best guys. Like- Real quick, too, is I'll remind people that, that that Ryan has an article on the front page of Irish Breakdown where he talked to read Nathaniel. Yes, it. definitely read this. You can see that they're actually doing a really good job of recruiting him so far. And the nice thing is he's actually never been to Notre Dame before. He shot when he told yeah. me because I asked him about yeah. it. He said, I've never been. I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah. Like, I just, I don't know why I didn't get into it. There was a whole bunch of us in the scrum interviewing him, but I was like, yeah. So it, it's, it, it's interesting. So if you're already there and your brother, and that's the thing I was encouraged by to hear Ryan say that his brother's talking to him a lot about Notre Dame. So there's already that strong baseline and he's not even been to campus yet. So that actually, I was actually more encouraged coming out of what you told me about your conversation with him. And then what Ryan's article did, I was a lot more optimistic than I was a couple weeks ago. The kid that I, and this is just a personal pet peeve, uh, Driscoll mentioned this when we opened the show. I talk a lot about D-line and corner, and it's for one reason. Notre Dame usually struggles to get these guys. There was a kid there who plays at St. Francis. They play IMG every year. It's their rival, if you will. So that puts things in perspective in terms of talent. His name is Blake Woodby. He's a corner who can fly. I watched him because I was literally filming it, and he about ran into me at the end. of He ran 4-4-1 electronic. Dude can fly. Notre Dame has a chance to get a visit pretty soon. He can go to any school in the country. Notre Dame needs more kids from the St. Francis's of the world. 
They, 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 I, I'm shocked. They haven't got a St. Francis kid yet, have they? No, they're, they're, they're at least amazing. trying to recruit D.C. better, but they're just, for whatever reason, just not having any success with that Catholic league in the D.C. area. In his own words, Blake told me that Notre Dame's corner coach, Mickens, was his guy. Yeah. What what that Shocker. Means, Shocker. <laughs> uh, he's a really good recruiter, and I, I've met him. He's just an easygoing guy. I can see why kids yeah. can relate to him. There are a handful of other kids that are interested, but the offensive guys are more in wait-and-see mode. I know that's not exactly a shocker either. I mean, especially if you're a wide receiver. I mean, it's kind of hard to pick Notre Dame right now, and I get it. But they've done pretty good. Um, a few of the O-linemen might be possibilities, but they're going to be tough. They're mostly Southern kids. There was only like three kids on this list from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. They pretty much just do it in the – so it's not as Notre Dame friendly as I would like. There are a few California kids – uh, Jet, Jet White, a few others yeah. that might be possibilities. But for the most part, uh, the linebacker out of Omaha is going to visit. Uh, he's yeah. get his name. He's a pretty darn good player. Ryan will have an, uh, Ryan's got an article saved right now. That's Christian Jones. Uh, he's got an Great article kid. that I'll be publishing here. I'm going to proof it and publish it here when we get out of the uh, when we get out of this show. But yeah, he's another kid. And a uh, high school teammate of Teddy Rezac, by yeah, the way. Yeah, he, he mentioned yeah. that. He, yeah. This is one of the greatest quotes I ever I laughed because I hated those mid-90s Nebraska teams. His dad played on that 96 team. And okay. I think, okay, well, Notre Dame's got no shot. The one team that didn't win a title during that stretch. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just – it's crazy. They were really good. But, you know, anyway, the point is this. His dad's – so, you know, he's a Nebraska guy, right? He mentions it's Nebraska and it's, I believe, Iowa or somebody like that in Notre Dame. And I said, well, I assume you probably want to go to Nebraska. You're a fan. He goes – well, I'm kind of a fan, but they've never been any good when I was alive anyway. And I was like, wow. Like, I could just mm-hmm. see his dad rolling his eyes, but there's nothing he can say to combat it. Right. Like, it's amazing how long it's been since yeah. Nebraska was even. I mean, right. when was like, the last Nebraska's time they were actually won titles team? more recently than Notre Dame, but they've but had they've so many more off. down years oh, compared to where God. Notre Dame it's, has in recent years. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But they're not going to. Two, two guys I want you to talk about, Brian, too, uh, is Usman Kroma and then Bryce Davis, because I know you talked to both of those oh, guys, yeah. too. Bryce Davis is a defensive lineman from just outside the Tri-Cities area near Duke, North Carolina, and NC State. I had no idea that Notre Dame was involved with him. I was just interviewing everybody that walked into this meeting room where all the kids came in. It's just a scrum. Everybody talks to him, and he says, yeah, Notre Dame, really want, really want to visit Notre Dame. And I'm like, oh, I had no yeah. idea. For whatever reason, and you've talked about this on the show about 500 times, Al Washington connects with certain kids and other certain kids kid, not yeah. at all. I have yeah. the, whatever it is. And right before the evening workout, I'd interviewed him the day before. The evening workout the next day, they're doing seven on seven and stuff. And I go underneath the state. It's super hot. It's horrible down here right now. I go underneath the stadium before they come out and two people come in there. It happened to be his parents. And I'm talking to him. And his mom's all about learning about Notre Dame and some of these schools out of state. Dad just wants him to stay closer to home because he's tired of spending all this money on travel. But that's another story. But he's well, like, you explained to me, Notre Dame has three road games in North Carolina next year. So, <laughs> I know. You know, it's yeah. pretty bizarre, by the way. That yeah. is hilarious, by the way. Yeah. And but the Carolinas, like, excuse me, Carolinas, two in, in North Carolina, North, one yeah, in South Carolina. Wait, wait, yeah. Wait, wait. But Notre Dame has a really good shot at him. And he's a kid they selected – at the halftime of the seven-on-seven, seven, they did a handful of one-on-ones with D-linemen in O-line. And I'm talking about humongous human beings. And he held his own. He's one of the top guys in the country as a pass rusher. That never goes out of style. He's a big end long-term for me, is my guess. Because he's already 6'4", 230 already. Yeah, yeah, he's actually a little bigger than that now. So he's, he's, yeah, I just, And he's ranked in the top 50 by 247 Sports and Rivals. And he's a great kid. Yeah. He could fit in at Notre Dame. Before anybody asks... I didn't even ask him his GPA. I know he's good. Yeah. He has, he's articulate. He's, he's very polite. He fits Notre Dame, like Wake Forest, Duke, Notre Dame, Vandy. He'd be fine. Now, if you really look at the other kid, this was bizarre to me because he's from central Georgia. I don't even know how do you pronounce his name. Great kid running back. But when I saw him going through the drills of running back, we're all sitting there watching like, Hey, he's a little stiff. He's a little stiff, but you can just tell this muscle on muscle just popping out of his body. And then they started doing some routes on air and they had him running corner routes and stuff. And he was coming right at me and I'm like, Holy cow, he's catching the ball over his shoulder and everything. That then I saw why he had all the offers. When I asked him about Notre Dame and all the schools that were recruiting him, Notre Dame, he's got a great relationship with Daylon McCullough. 
Shocker. I know that that I mean, do I think they'll get him? No, because Notre Dame's depth chart is just insane, but so is Georgia's. So is that like all the schools he's looking at, it's the same deal. And before anybody asks, articulate kid, won't have any problems academically, but he is not a typical central Georgia kid. Distance will have zero impact on him. Mm. Most kids from that area, distance from mom is number one on the board. He could care less. He's just going to go do his own thing. If he went to Stanford, wouldn't surprise me. He's going to do his own thing. Great kid. And he is the kind of guy that you make a business decision with if you're going to tackle him on an inside zone. So that kind of denotes what kind of player he is. Again, muscles popping off muscles. He's not lacking in that testosterone area. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. All right, let's get to the next one here from Jordan Schreiber. Which freshman defensive lineman do you think gets the most playing time and makes the biggest impact this year? So I'll give you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at one of the questions I answered in the super in the that that football chat we're doing it. And I I my bold prediction, if I had to pick a guy, which freshman do I think is will be that breakout guy? I'm either going with Armel Mukum or Bubakar Traore are the two I'm going with. And I and, and as long as he stays healthy, I'm probably going with Bubakar. I just think his combination of size and power, but it would not shock me if any of those three guys do it. So I'm just gonna gonna have a little bit of fun with it, Brian, and just predict that Bubakar's the guy that breaks out. Because I feel like Bubakar's just such a raw kid. And so tell like I had him near the bottom of my list of my ranking of my defensive class last year in my my current grade, because he hasn't played a lot of football. He was injured for a chunk of his senior year. There's just not a lot you see of him, but he was, I think, number one on my upside list. Because he may not know what he's doing right now, but that kid has a ton of ability. And he's the kind of kid, Brian, that just goes, shows up at college, gets like a good summer of, of coaching, and all of a sudden the light goes on in like week three. And you're like, okay, this kid was down on our scout team just murdering our starting offensive line. So we're going to go ahead and bring him up. And then by the middle of the year, he's in your rotation. Like I, I could see something like that happening. Well, if there's a kid that can do it, he can't, he just needs to stay healthy. Number one. I mean, that's, that's always a concern. Your most valuable asset is how much you're able to play. I love Muko. I mean, I just think that his tools long-term, he could be the best guy out of the group. I fully understand that he short-term, that's going to be hard. I hope he gets to play a little bit this year, even if it's just mm-hmm. three or four games. The guy that I actually think that could make some impact this year is, is Vernon mm-hmm. just because of his size. Again, I'm not picking on Cross, but he's not a natural nose guard in terms of third and one. They're going to try different guys. And I, Vernon may not be able to handle much of it, but five, ten snaps a game, yeah, he might be a guy that comes in and is a goal line short yardage guy. Who knows? Because I think he's, he, he's going to be about 265. He's going to show up at around 260, 265. Oh, is he down that much? Yeah, I thought yeah. he was like at 290 at one point. He lost a bunch of weight after his senior year because he had just he got he got put on too much weight or like too much weight fast. And he got a little slow, and so oh, when so he showed totally up, shifting yeah. So that they, they and Notre Dame wanted that. They wanted him to drop some weight so they can put it back on the right way, so they can put it on. Well, I don't know where he's going to play at then. I mean, he could play three spots depending yeah. on the situation and formation. Yeah, I think he'll start as a big end, and then depending on how he takes to the strength and conditioning program and the nutrition program, I could see him moving inside at some point in time. Yeah, but well, that's yeah, because he was like two ninety during the senior season, Brian. That's what I thought he was. That's what I thought. I think Brian said, 
Yeah, Ryan said at the uh, the uh, all, all, the all, the Army game that he covered, he said Brennan looked like a completely different kid. I mean, he just he had lost a bunch of weight and was like sitting there with his thing tucked up and most defensive linemen. I'm like, bro, put your shirt down. But he didn't look. I mean, I didn't like it because I think it's just weird when linemen do that. Period. But I was like, oh, okay, he looked like it wasn't an abnormal thing. You know, he had some much better weight. And it, when I saw him arrive for 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 summer workouts. He looked like he'd kind of maintained that winter look. So I think, you know, and that's something Notre Dame wanted because the weight he put on was um, was calorie weight. You know what I mean? It wasn't. Pizza, it, yeah, pasta. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to get his weight up on his own as opposed to, dude, just be what you are. And then we'll get that weight on the right way when you get here. So he got a lot of that off, which is good. Next question is from Rob Osgood. Guys, you were the defensive coordinator. What players along the line would you play versus Navy and Ohio State? Run teams versus more pro style teams. What would your D line plan be? Thanks again, I, Brian. I don't know that I would change my players a whole lot, to be honest with you. I think I would just kind of maybe change where I'd line them up a little bit. I'd maybe put a fifth defensive lineman on the field at times, maybe in certain looks. But I, I, I really think one of the mistakes some people make when they play Navy is they completely change their personnel. That's and, dangerous. Yeah, it's like play the guys you have. Just make sure the scheme is geared towards stopping them. So I, I don't know that I would would change a whole lot about that. I think the only thing I would consider changing is what I may do. What I may do is against Navy is is play less of Javante Jean Baptiste as that really long edge guy, and maybe move Riley Mills out there and put Gabriel Rubio and Jason Onye. Uh, and Howard Cross into sort of a three-man rotation in the two inside spots and just really dominate him at the point of attack with size and power and and quickness. I would imagine Cross, depending on how you used him, his first step is is amazing. Yeah, He should have multiple tackles for loss against Navy or any option team. That would be my guy for pick to to click. Yeah. Uh, and Ohio State again. It, it, the personnel doesn't change, Rob. It's the it's the how you implement that personnel to me that would change. If I'm changing per and now I'm uh, keeping my I'm just talking about the defensive line. I would change personnel um, on the second and third levels because you don't. If you're a four two five team, you don't you shouldn't stay in a four two five with a nickel back on the field when you're playing Navy. I mean, you put another linebacker on the field. Uh, what I was referring to is the defensive line, just so that we're clear on that. Um, that's just a. And if I was going to go to a four-two-five, my my nickel would be a, a more of a pure safety, so I can get him in that second level and and let him attack the options and it's have something that can kind of peel on the wheels, sure you know, attack downhill, peel with a with a wheel route, things like that. Those I would make some changes there, but from a front standpoint, that's what I, when I'm talking about not change of personnel. That's where I think teams get in trouble, is when they when they make big adjustments to who they play in the front seven. I, I'm not. I'm not changing that. Yeah, I've only seen that really work once, and that was with Greer Martini. And that was the darndest thing. He just, he just for whatever reason, just knew how to play the triple option. He was really good at it. Next question is from Salty Virginia Peanuts. Smitty, you attended an Austin Westlake game last season to see the great one in person. Do you think he will start this year, and how do you think he will perform? Keep in mind that this is the great, the biggest Jaden Greathouse fanboy on the face of the planet, and he will tell you that. So when he says the great one, he's referring to Jaden Greathouse. Do I think he will start? No. Do I think he will be in consistent rotation at slot and at times possibly playing starter minutes? Depends on the team they're playing, but I mean, they have a speedy running back that's transitioned. And when I say speed, I mean, he's four, three, it's hard to take him off the field, bro. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was watching the Clemson game last night. There was a little pass out in the flat. And I mean, it was like three yards and he was even with the linebacker three steps later. It looked like they weren't on the same field. It's hard to take those guys off the field because again, there was no effort in the play. It was just schemed well, very generic. It was a nice pass. But for me to the wall that's 15 feet away, and then he got 10 yards out of it. Jaden is a take-it-off-your-head route runner, power guy. Could probably help you in the screen game block and stuff better. But they're not going to just put him out there to start right away. Now, is he going to start as a sophomore and junior? Yeah. Do I think he'll turn pro after three years? Probably. Because he's such a good all-route player. But uh, uh, I, I would go. What do you, what do you think, Brian? Uh, 
25 catches this year, give or Minimum, take? Minimum, yeah. Here's the thing, Brian. If he was here last year, he starts. I know that's what's funny, yeah, but they moved, he, they moved a 4-3 guy to slot. I, right. Well, Jane Thomas is such a better player this year than he was early beginning yeah. of last year. Tobias is in year two. I mean, the he, difference he, in last year to this at one position in major college football, yeah. wide receiver at Notre Dame might be number one. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. That and Iowa quarterback are the two. The two. <laughs> I could go find a random guy on the street here in Bartow, Florida. Okay. Some guy that's never played football. He could throw it better than I was. Yeah. That guy was too. Oh, it was really bad. Really bad. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, really, really bad. All right, let's get to the next one here. Jordan Schreiber, do you think Tim Brown will make a big impact mentoring Tobias Merriweather? I, to a degree, sure. I mean, my understanding is, I mean, this is something that was from an interview at, at the golf outing or something along those lines, but they're going to have him around Tobias Merriweather. Look, Tim Brown can absolutely impart some wisdom on Tobias Merriweather, but the biggest impact for Tobias is going to be number one, Tobias just having that de that inner desire to be great. Does he have it or not? That's a question with every player that's a talented player. Is, do you have that deep burning desire to be great? And uh, are you in a position where losing is – you have to ask yourself, because I feel like this is a, this is a uh, debate you have with all great players, like true champions. Do, what, do you, what drives you more? your love for winning or your hatred for losing. And, and to me, when you have guys that can have sort of that inner desire to just be like, I want to dominate, I want to be great. And I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get there. That's the question. And I don't care if it's Tim Brown mentoring him or who it doesn't matter. It, that's going to be on Tobias. And then of course, you know, the work with coach Stuckey and it's what it's going to, it's going to come down to now. Is it good to have people like Tim Brown in your ear giving you some pointers and some motivation and some tips. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no, there's no, there's no downside to that, but I, I don't think we're going to look back and be like, wow, if you don't have that, whatever time you have with Tim Brown, Tobias doesn't have the breakout that he's going to have. It's just a piece to the puzzle of getting Tobias to play to his potential. In my opinion. Next question is from Sean green outside of just stats. What are some key areas of their game or techniques you want to see this season to let you know players are being developed? And we'll look at the defensive line for this question, Brian. So what are some areas outside of just stats? What are some key areas? Because I think that's a good preface because sometimes stats are a byproduct of your just better than the dude across from you, not necessarily that you're being developed. So I think I like that preface. What are some key areas of their game or techniques that you want to see this season to let you know that the defensive linemen will go with defensive linemen are being developed? I think the biggest one is what you talked about earlier. Some guy's going to get away with basic talent. Burnham, like Burnham's like, he's going to run around a few guys this year. That's great. Does he have a counter move to a rip? Does he have a counter move to a swim? All the little things, because if once he gets toolsy with that length and that, exp that's a 10 sack guy. Now he's not going to get reps to get 10 sacks this year, but we're still going to see it in small doses. Jordan Botello has been a dip-and-go guy. Not necessarily had the most moves, but he, you're not going to out-hustle him. If he adds just a few little things, and I don't know what, you know, everybody's got their own comfort zone with all these different pass rush moves. If he adds two more, just two more, he's looking at eight sacks this year. Same thing with Riley Mills, et cetera. They, it's just technique stuff. I know that's a boring answer, but it really looks good at the stat line at the end of the year. Yeah, using hands better, driving feet through contact. I think the other thing too, Brian, is Jordan was really good at that getting under, but not a oh, lot of the God. other ends were good at that. That's something that I want to see. That's oh. something that Jordan brought with him from Hawaii. If you go back and watch his he high school film, dip, man. he got he taught that dip. in high school. I like to see more of that from the Notre Dame defense line. never really consistently did. They drove me Yeah, down. Fosky reminds me, Brian, you remember that old uh, Sinbad skit? Back in the day, I think it was Afros and Bell Bottoms, that comedy skit he did. We talked about like that old, like that OG, right? That he was at the club. He said that one move, but he's still doing it. You know, I mean, it's just that's right, right? That was Isaiah Foskey. He just had that one move. That was really it, you know. And and so he's a long like to guy. see a little bit more of an advanced repertoire, a little bit from the defensive line this year. I want to see Batello have a counter to that dip, like some kind of back under move or something like that. 
then he gets the guy thinking. And then like the entire second half, he's got him on skates. Once Notre Dame gets guys doing that, it's over with. I, I thought Florida State's D linemen in the 90s were the best at counter moves. And my God, it was just insane. I, I don't think there's going to be too many teams that can get the sack totals that happened back then because football's changed. But Notre Dame, again, with a little bit of advancement, you know, basic stuff like using hands and stuff anyway, just with moves, 40 sacks is like the bottom end of where they should be as a unit. Now, part right. of that, like Brian talked about earlier, Bertrand and some of those guys will get some easy sacks coming up in the pocket when the guy moves. I don't care who gets it, but it's a collective effort. And that's how you get there, man, because you're going to play against some good players. We can't have one sack against Ohio State this year. Right. I will lose my mind if that is the answer. Right. Especially well, the problem, the, the pro- and I get where you're coming from, Brian, and I think you're going to agree with this. It, the problem wasn't wasn't just the number of sacks, because I, I don't think C.J. Stroud's necessarily an easy, super easy guy to sack. Like Caleb, Caleb Williams is not a, a really oh, no, easy guy to sack. The problem was is there there wasn't enough. Consi- like C.J. Set Stroud was only sacked twelve times last year. It was more of a. I mean, you could get two sacks, three sacks, and, and not be overly disruptive through the course of the game. There has to be a consistent level of, of disruption. And it may only result in a sack or two, but it but does it result in more pass breakups, more interceptions, more tip balls, more more negative plays? That's that's the question because you know the, the sack numbers were good last year for Notre Dame, right? Like 38. They were th- like I said, they were 13th in college football last year, and all that stuff is good, but I still felt like they allowed completions at a too high of a rate, in my opinion, at, at certain positions. And so those are areas that I want to see them continue to get better because a team that ranks 13th in sacks should not rank 45th in in completion percentages allowed and should not rank 129th in pass breakups. There's just there were so many weird stats. They did have a odd combo, you know, didn't they? They really Notre did. Dame last year. Like a team that's 13th in sacks normally is going to be a team that's high in turnovers, high in pass disruptions, and that kind of stuff. And it was just really weird. Notre and it goes Dame back to what I said was there was a lot of hollow stats last year from the D line, where it was like late in game sacks, like they had a lot of late sacks against Cal, but it the inability to make stops early, it kind of puts you in a position to kind of be there. And of course, it, what also helped was the the game be close as the offense played like garbage really until late in the game as well. Uh, no you know, but, but they're just were like, you know, this Brian, you you'll see guys that produce and you're just like, yeah, I know this guy had nine sacks last year, but he really wasn't that good because he had a lot of garbage sacks. He had a lot of not important sacks. He had, you know, he had three sacks where like just nobody touched them in the third quarter, you know, something like that. And that's going to be the big thing for me is I'm a big believer that sacks can be an overrated statistic if you're not looking at them within con and I know you look at them in context, Brian, but it, it can be that way where if you just have one or two sacks and you've got 15, 16, 17 pressures, you did your job because it resulted that in that could actually be work because right. you can get picks right. and big plays. Yeah. Right. Or you have three sacks and seven total pressures, and two of your sacks were like, you know, on third down, another one was like right before the end of the half or something like that. You know, guys scrambling around, no one's open, and he just kind of goes down, and you sack him. That you're not impactful in that situation. So, to me, to your point, they need to be more disruptive against Ohio State because that's the thing is that's going to be the first really big game for whoever their starting quarterback is, right? And so, you know, your Notre Dame's quarter. Look, when you're playing a team like Ohio State, and, and I've said this, Brian, I believe Ohio State could end up being better this year than they were last year as a team and their record not reflect it because I think their schedule's tougher this year. They got to play at Michigan. They got to play at Notre Dame. I think Penn state's going to be better this year. And, and, and the reason I say that is, is because there's one position I'm concerned about with Ohio state and that's quarterback. And it's not, the numbers are going to be fine. Uh, but it comes down to, but can you be money? Like CJ Stroud did not play great against Notre Dame last year. He didn't go look at the numbers. He didn't, but you know what he was against Notre Dame, Brian money. 100%. He made game-winning plays. When he did hit throws, they were money throws. So you look at it this year, and, and and to my guy Archer, with all due respect to Indiana, they play Indiana, Youngstown State, and Western Michigan, and or Western Kentucky in the first three games. That's a whole different animal than playing Notre Dame. It, it just is, right? So, uh, you know, and I know that Kyle McCord has a career start. I think it was like against Akron two years ago. Right. This is a different animal. I'm not sold on him either. Right. Now I like Kyle McCord, but again, it comes down to 
that's a different animal than going on the road to play Ohio State, right? And and what's the mental part going to be like? But here's the thing that can happen. If Kyle McCord comes into Notre Dame Stadium and he's able to get time to throw and get into an early rhythm, he will have success. He will rip Notre Dame up because the receivers are phenomenal, the running backs are outstanding, and the scheme is going to be really good. The way to win that game, the way to beat him, the way to be disruptive, or the way to, to, to keep him from being effective and to win that game is never let him get comfortable. Ne- because C.J. Stroud, could, could you could do that to C.J., and he could still make you pay for it because he was a top-five overall draft pick talent, and he had a whole year of starting under his belt. Kyle McCord won't have that. And to your point, Brian, you could sack him three times and, and still not let and still not be disruptive against him. But if he's getting harassed play after play, when he does have a clean pocket, you're getting your hands up and you're knocking it down, you know, things like that. You're hitting him as soon as he's throwing it. You're forcing him to rush throws and get throws out there quickly. And yeah, he may complete a ball, but you're tackling Marvin Harrison for three yards because he had to get the ball out so quick. Like that's how you beat Ohio State. If it comes down to my corner's got to cover Marvin Harrison for an entire route, guess what? I don't care how good Notre Dame's corners are. They're going to get beat because that's how good he is, right? And that's true for most receivers versus corners. If I have to, if, if you have to cover me longer than three and a half, four seconds, I'm going to beat you, right? Yeah, it's just the reality of it. Four, like four right. seconds for people out there. If you're covering for more than four, Dion didn't cover well after it's four. It's toast. Like, it's too hard. Right. Exactly. So if I have to force Kyle McCord to get the ball out quickly, and that may result the way the Ohio State runs their offense, that may not result in a lot of sacks, but higher completion, higher incompletions, that's going to be the key. Uh, because Notre Dame only had one sack last year against, against Ohio State. That's not actually the number that bothered me. The number that bothered me against Ohio State last year is the fact that, you know, that they they just to me didn't didn't force enough negatives. I mean, he only averaged six point six yards per attempt. But he completed seventy point six percent of right. But he completed seventy point six percent of his yep. throws, right? He you want to dunk them to death, exactly. And then that allowed their run game to take it over because because they knew that Notre Dame's offense wasn't a threat. That that's what it came down to. They didn't have to once they took the lead. They didn't have to take shots. They took no because, chances, even right? Because they quarterback. They were not going to let the they were not going to let the defensive line or the secondary, which had actually covered pretty well that game force an interception or give them a short field. They, they just knew that they weren't going to give up points. This year, if Notre Dame is coming out scoring offensively, Ohio State's going to take more shots. They're going to take more chances. They're going to throw the ball down the field. And they know that was Marvin Harrison's 30s. second career start, right? So yeah. he's now you now know more of what you have in him. They thought he was going to be really good, but now you know he's really good. Right now, Notre Dame has really good corners too. But again, I don't care how good you are. If Marvin Harrison's able to completely fully execute his post route, and the quarterback's able to make a clean throw, there's a good chance unless you have safety help, that's going to be a completion more than you'd hope it would be. But if the quarterback's getting hit before he's even getting out of the top of his his post route, guess what? That ball's getting chucked down to somebody else. It's getting dropped off to somebody else. Or it's an errant throw that you then can force an incompletion or make a pat, or make make a pick off of, right? That's what it comes down to, Brian. And it all comes down to can your defensive line be disruptive consistently? And to Brian's point, to circle it all back around, if you've got one move, eventually a team coached by Justin Fry is going to figure that out. You. Yeah. And they're going to they're going to have you st- so you may have a lot of success in the first half. They're going to go in there, they're going to make their adjustments, come out in the second half and say, "Okay, this is we we know that this is the move that this guy has." So we're just going to have our, our 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 left tackle just a little overset, just a little. So here's a so if Jordan Bethel is just consistently getting around you, you're, and that's all he has that little dip and rip around the edge. Okay, that's fine. It's going to open up that outside pass set just a little bit, drop that back foot just a little bit more, and then allow him to get a little bit better angle. So we we'll maybe maybe do just a little bit more of a vertical set so we can meet him. Little small adjustment, and then bam, we got him stopped. Now if they're coached well, when Ohio State makes that adjustment. Notre Dame sees that immediately in the next snap. They come off, and he starts on a vertical a- angle. As soon as that guy oversets, boom, I'm beating him inside on a counter move, and I'm to the quarterback again. There we go. That's the difference between a well-coached team and a team that just does the basics. And that's right? the difference and between a team that doesn't make to the playoffs and does. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good questions. We have some great questions today so far. You guys are on fire. Really good job. Yeah. 